You're listening to the brand new current episode of In Love with the Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. What's happening? How are you? Come on in, grab a seat, grab a beer. Uh, we're no longer sponsored by that beer company, so don't worry about that beer. Grab whatever beer you like. I have a little tiff with them. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, hang out. Uh, hanging out with me today is... Uh, a favorite of the show. This is uh, your third time on the show, Ian Spencer. What's up? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still. I'm still backtracking to that. Uh, the beer comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm great. I'm stupendous. You know. Oh my god. I'm so happy to be here again. Yeah, you're a regular on the show all the time now. Oh, good. Well, I'm just uh, always here. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to have you here. Um, so those of you who have been. Uh, Regular in level the process fans, I, I'm sure you've been thrown for a bit of a loop this week, uh, as have we here. Um, let me just stop and just say, holy shit, this week has been uh, amazing. It is a surprise that uh, 12km has gone viral on the internet, and to be more specific... Uh, the movie itself didn't go viral. Um, just something that I said went viral. And this is something that you guys have heard me say on the show for years now, which is I'm not putting 12KM out for free. Uh, the only way that you can see it is if you DM me on uh, Instagram at Mike Petchy and uh, tell me your three three favorite horror movies. And if I agree with you, then sure, I'll send you a link. I've always said that. Um, and a few weeks ago, I had this this dude reach out to me and, and he wanted to see it. And so I sent him the link and um, I checked out his stuff. And he's a nice guy. He doesn't have a ton of traffic. He's a nice dude. does really cool stuff. And I was like, sure, man. And um, that was it, right? And then he uh, did a really great review and I'm talking about Big Vic Media, right? So if you look him up on Instagram, I'm sure if you've been part of this crazy whirlwind that is this week, you've already seen it. Um, but uh, Big Vic, a lot of people don't know that he did a really, really introspective review on 12KM that I like a lot. And he tried to figure out the meaning of the movie, and he really went deep. Um that's not the video that went viral, but it's really, really great. So if you've already seen 12Cam and you really want to sort of dig deeper, you should definitely go check out Big Vic's review. I'll see if he'll give it to me so I can post it. Um, he did a really good job of that. And I was, I was really sort of taken back by his review. And this was over a week ago, maybe even two weeks ago that I saw that. And no big deal. That was it. Um, I didn't even see this clip that he did where he made a short clip that describes the process of getting to see this movie, which was, you know, if you want to see it, you have to DM me. Um, and uh, cleverly, he put at the end of that clip, is this pretentious or is this genius? And I feel like that is what got all of you. <laughs> was that little line. 
pretentious? What? <laughs> no. 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 Definitely genius. Uh, not even that either. It's not like I dropped out of my mom and was like, yo, I've got this great idea. Uh, no. This was hard work and a long time coming. And it here's something for all of you regular listeners, you filmmakers out there listening to the show consistently, and you're always asking about how can you get people to see your stuff. This is that thing that you can't sort of plan for. There's no calculation to get this kind of response, uh, response for anything. Mm. This is chance. Uh, a guy posted this thing in his reels. He didn't have a ton of traffic, so it's not like all his traffic came here. Mm -hmm. And that thing got picked up. And I think it's now kicking in at 2.5 million people. That's fucking nuts. <laughs> 2.5 million people. Out of control. Have seen it. So to explain it to you uh, that are listening, and I know that there's a lot of you coming over from my Instagram account right now because you want to see the movie. And I have told you what I'm going to do because I can't handle this. And I'll explain why I can't handle what's happening. Um, but what I'm going to do, as promised, somewhere in this episode, I will give you the password to C12KM. And that password will only be good for the week that this episode comes out. And then the next week, there'll be a new password that'll be embedded in the next week's episode. Can you see what I'm doing here? I'm driving traffic to the podcast. Why? Because I think you guys will really enjoy the show. I've had so many people that have seen the movie already come to me and ask, what other movies do you have coming out? What else is happening? This show is where you'll get all that info. So I want everybody to subscribe to this podcast so I can keep you guys all afloat. And in the interim, you can listen to me talking to like great Academy Award-winning cinematographers. Uh, there's an episode uh, where I talk with Peter Stormare mm -hmm. on the show, actor Peter Stormare from Fargo, from Armageddon. Any so Russian in any movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not Russian in real life, right, by yeah. the way. It's crazy. Uh, he talks about that. He, I did not know that till you had him on the show. Yeah, he talks about that. Um, so let me go back. The first day that this happened, and Ian's heard this story. You just have to put up with me for a sec. The first day that this happened, um, I got a couple of follows, and in your Instagram mailboxes, there is your current your current mail, but there's that little link over in the corner, which is usually reserved for spam mail, mm -hmm. which is messages coming to you from people that you don't follow or they don't follow you or something. It's like main general and requests. Requests. That request folder had about 100 messages in it, first day. And I didn't know what the fuck this was about. I We had just wrapped doing the Fujifilm camera contest. And I just assumed that, that this was leftovers from that Fujifilm contest. Mm -hmm. And so um, I clicked on the folder and it was just a bunch of movies. People were giving their three favorite movies. And I was like, what the fuck? Someone must have done something. Okay. So I spent the time and answered all hundred of those messages. Went through read everybody's responses, and sent links to the people that I agreed with on the piece, which people ask me, like, how many people do you turn away? I turn folks away that don't follow the rules. I turn away rude people. Um, but uh, as long as you send me thought out responses for horror, then you get a link. That's it. And what I'm doing ultimately is I'm just trying to get you to communicate with me. And it also gives me a bit of an insight 
into the type of movies you like. So who is interested in seeing 12 cam and what kind of movies do they like? This is really important stuff for me. Research that I can then use when I go talk to people in our industry because believe it or not, Hollywood is batshit wrong about what they think people want to watch. And I have thousands and thousands and thousands of emails and I've seen how many people want to see the similar horror movies and it's not even on Hollywood's list right mm-hmm. now. So it's really important research and material uh, research for me. So uh, day two, I answered those emails, 100 emails. Then day two, I opened my fucking Instagram and I have thousands of, of follows and I go into the folder and there are thousands and thousands of messages. And so I, being someone that is a man of his word, I had to respond. So I go through the process of responding. And I, at first I was spending the time like really responding. I'm like, this is taking too long. So of course I'm cutting and pasting my general response and then I'll pepper it with what I need to do just to get through some folks. And so I get through the first 30 uh, messages and then I go to scroll the page and it reloads and there are 40 new ones. And I immediately realized that no matter how fast I can do this, there hits a point where the Instagram uh, platform itself slows me down. I cannot get to all of these messages. Mm -hmm. I just can't do it. Um, So what I'm going to do is you can still send me your messages, uh, your three favorite horror films on there, and I will still spend some time every day trying to get through those. But if you want to get access to a short-term link to watch this movie, I will give it to you on the podcast. So listen to the podcast. And like I said, it'll change every week. So yeah, that's what's going on. The work of a pretentious genius (laughs) (laughs) is never done. I love. I, I'm supposed to go on Vic's podcast, and we're, we're going to talk about it. I'm, I'm, oh, he has a podcast. Yeah, he's got a podcast. I'm supposed to go on and chat with him, and I'm going to give him shit for put, putting the pretentious thing. But it, it was the smartest thing in the world that he could have done. Because- Honestly, that should be the title of this podcast <laughs> right now. <laughs> you want to drive real traffic? Take your own advice. Yeah, be pretentious. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, man. Um, I've had a lot of folks asking me too, whether it's just like, why are you doing it this way? What I would love to do, what I would much rather do is actually hand you guys tickets to a movie theater. I wish that there was a movie theater big enough where we could all go in because 12 cam was mastered for cinema. Mm -hmm. It was color graded um, by an amazing colorist in a movie theater. I sat in a movie theater and color graded it to a movie theater screen. It was mixed, audio mixed for a movie theater. Um, so in the best case scenario, it would be me handing you tickets, meeting you, saying hello at the door, and you go in and sit down and watch this movie. This is the closest thing I can do to that online. That's really what this is. It's It's got nothing to do with pretentiousness. I don't think I know more about horror movies than all of you do. Matter of fact, I've been getting so many horror movies that I haven't seen that I've been watching. I just watched Perfect Blue the other day. Oh. Have you ever seen that? Mm-mm. That anime? Oh. You would like it. Really? Yeah, man. Is it, how old is it? I think it came out in the 90s. Perfect Blue. 
I feel like someone recommended that to me recently. Yeah, I'll pull it up here. It was fantastic, and you would love this movie. Perfect. Well, I mean, and jumping back into you talking about, uh, you know, creating this for movie theaters, I think the first time I ever saw it was at Coolidge Corner. You were at the screening, I right? was at the screening, yeah. That's right. I and mean, I feel like I probably saw it before that yeah <laughs> at the house yeah but, uh but yeah that was like that's my when i think about when i watched it that was the that was the experience and i fucking love that theater yes like, that's my favorite theater in boston and to see your movie in that theater was i mean memorable it thank was me- you it was, me- it was memorable well that was uh thanks to mark who is the programmer over there mm-hmm. and i've had a lot of folks reaching out to me um that are from Boston that want me come back want me to come back to Boston and do a screening. Here's what you, here's what I would do. Reach out to Coolidge Corners, either uh, email or their uh, Instagram page, and say that you want them to put on another screening of Twelve Cam. And if enough of you, if enough of you want me to screen it there, I'll come back and I'll screen it there, and we'll do that. And the same thing is to be said. Uh, in a bunch of these larger cities. Like if there is a lot of you in a city, there has to be more than 50 of you in a city that really want to get together and, and have a screening. If you guys could figure that out, I'll come do screenings. We'll come do live screenings of this if you guys want to do that. And if you guys have, if someone listening has the opportunity to make something like that happen, just reach out to me. Um, and reach out to me through the Instagram for the podcast because you'll get lost in the thousands oh God, of messages yeah. on the other one. So if you go to in love with the process pod on Instagram, uh, DM me there because I will see that I, I I'm, I've lost, you know how many fucking guests I had lined up for the show that were in my inbox, in my Instagram account. And they're just literally hundreds of thousands deep. I can't even find the fucking messages. I can't even remember who I was talking to. Um, it's been pretty destructive, actually. I didn't think about that when I made that offhand comment. <laughs> I mean, I mean, also, like, once you're going through it, like, if you don't transfer people to the your main section or your general section, they yes. just remain in there. So, like, you may answer people back, but then their message is still. Oh, so I'm smart. I put it in the general. So oh, that, you, you now my general, general after you met, is oh, that's all very organized. Yeah, well I had to do immediately. Had to figure out how to organize this amount of traffic. It's been intense. Um, so those of you who are just here, those of you who are showing up and you have seen 12 KM, uh, let's talk a little bit about it without giving away any spoilers. I'll do a spoiler episode. Oh shit. No spoilers. As we go through, but there's people that are tuning in right now that are trying to get the link for the show. So we won't fucking spoil it. Mm. Um, but, um, Ian, do you have any questions for me? That'd be a good point. Do you have any questions for me on 12 KM? Um, I mean, as opposed to questions, I, we haven't really talked about this film in a long time because you've been working on other all these stu- other films, all these yeah. other stuff. Yeah. Um, so I guess like kind of going back to reiterate the story and the process and like, cause there's, there are so many things again, without giving it away, there are so many things that you did in this film, practical effects, mm-hmm. Uh, extended shooting, financing it yourself. Like, yeah, that, yeah. Like, I could do a whole podcast series. That's what I'm, I mean, I, that's that's kind of what this is right now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do you want to start at 
how you came up with the idea, like where this this whole thought process was born of, because that's a pretty interesting story. Well, okay. So the original idea came from an article that I had read online about the Kola Peninsula site, Mm -hmm. about the actual site that existed. And so it's a true story that the Russians were drilling in the 70s and the 80s. They were on what I consider a space race, but down into the planet. They were trying to dig the deepest hole known to man. And at the time, they were saying that they were just trying to take core samples. It was a scientific discovery, but they were really fucking aggressive about it. And there was a big piece of me that felt like it was an oil race for something. So I had read this article online about, I think it was like the Christian, some sort of Christian group had posted it, that the Russians had uh, drilled the deepest hole known to man, and they lowered microphones down into it, and they cracked into this chamber, and uh, they supposedly recorded the screams from hell. They could hear people (laughs) screaming down in hell. Um, And that part was cheesy to me. I was like, of course. There's no fucking chamber with people screaming down inside of that chamber. Oh, no, it's Russia. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Screams of prisoners of war. But in my head, I just saw like all this really cool, this really cool setting for an origin story of a creature. And I said, that was really fun. Um, but I, I, I'm like, what, what, the, what the fuck am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. At the time, I didn't have a feature idea in mind. And I'm like, who is going to want to finance this short? I just didn't feel that connected to it. And so I wrote this idea down and I put it in a book and closed it up. I think I had talked to, at the time, my buddy Ara, Ara Wooland, who him and I worked on a short together. I shot a short that he was in and uh, Ara uh, spoke Russian. And so I was telling him this story and we were joking about it. And I said, wouldn't it be funny if I did a short in Russian? And and he, we laughed and he goes, I'd do that. And I go, Yeah. And he goes, uh, you know, we should. And I go, who the fuck's going to want to? <laughs> Who's going to want me to do that? So I just sort of put it on on the back burner. A few years go by. The other event that really shaped everything was um, I had a head injury. And I've talked about this quite a few times on the show. I'll give you guys the paraphrased version. If you want more of it, you can go back and listen to the other episodes. But um, I went ice skating for the first time. I went on a date with Gina. We were early in our relationship. And uh, she dragged me on the ice. Um, and uh, I ended up slipping and falling back, and I cracked my skull. And I uh, had internal ble- uh, internal bleeding, sorry, in it's my brain injury. In my head, yes, the brain injury coming back <laughs> as I talk about it. In my head, uh, so I had a hematoma forming on the top of my brain. And normally what they would do is drill into my skull to release the blood pressure, but the hematoma was forming on the main blood vessel. Mm. So if they drilled just like a skosh too deep, I'd bleed out and I'd die. And so I woke up in intensive care and a doctor is like shining flashlights in my eyes. They're like, we can't let you go to sleep. Uh, You might not wake up. Um, You should call your family. And uh, we're going to see if the bleeding stops. And so I was in intensive care for about five days before the bleeding stopped. And in that period of time, uh, that pressure, I, I actually should post it. I have CAT scans of it where you could see how compressed my brain was to, due to the blood that was forming in there. It's pretty nuts. And uh, what are you smiling about? I'm <laughs> farting. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you could hear it. I'm, I'm tooting. <laughs> so, so um, 
just a little levity yeah. <laughs> for this, this very serious thing. <laughs> One of the side effects of it was that um, I was hallucinating. And uh, there was this bit where I started to believe that my inner voice wasn't mine. And uh, there are recordings, I think Gina still has them. I would just sort of come out of sort of like this trip that I was on and I would be like, you got to record this. I got to tell you what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling. And I would start to tell her what I was seeing and the shadows in the rooms was moving and all this stuff. And I went on this really crazy psychedelic journey with this head injury, um, especially during that uh, intensive care five days. The bleeding stopped, and then the doctor said, um, well, you've got multiple concussions, and you're going to have to stop work, and it, this could take up to five months for you to recover. Um, and I was so incredibly inspired by what I had been through and what I had witnessed as far as the hallucinations and everything, and I, I said, I, I, I've got this idea, and I, I want to write this story and then I thought about it and I go, oh, and I know how to make that Russia thing work. And so when I went, I stayed with my parents, thank God, for five months. And Gina was there. Um, and she met my family for the first time. It was a whole thing. She had to call my family. It was when a we were in relationship the crash course. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to have her on the show and we'll talk about it. But um, yeah. And went through this whole process of uh, recovering while having migraines and vertigo. I had crazy vertigo because of the stuff. This is why I, I watch football players smash into each other. And I'm like, how the fuck do you guys get up after this? I, I literally fell. Millions of dollars every every year. Yeah. It's like, how the fuck did you do that? Um, so uh, I had vertigo, which, which I was dealing with. And I had all the, also there were these other elements that happened um, that your brain takes care of without you thinking about. And one of them that stopped happening was the ability to filter out background noise yeah. so suddenly i had like a superpower where i could hear every sound in the room and so like if i went out to public i'd hear every conversation i'd hear the fork on every plate in the restaurant i'd hear what was happening in the kitchen i'd hear all of it and it was it was driving me crazy so i i couldn't be out in public for a while with that and i i thought all of that interesting stuff with with your senses and with sound and with the inner voice, all those things were really coming into play. And being a storyteller that loves scaring people, when I was scared going through that stuff, I was examining what was scaring me. And I was like, how do I translate this into a film? How do I translate this into a piece? See, that's something I feel like I didn't, that I either don't remember or didn't I know about the process that, huh? was the, because, you know, sound plays big part. a big part of the film. And that makes sense that, you know, you were hypersensitive yeah. to those kinds of stimulus outside of you. And then that comes directly into the creek, you know, everything that's going on. Yeah. With the creature and it. Yeah. 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 No, that was a big part of it. I mean, we've talked about this on the show with all these creators, all these directors, all these people that have been on the show. We always talk about how life uh, influences your art and how important it is to have life experiences and, I think for a lot of people falling on the ice and cracking your skull and like being out of work for almost a year, that would end everything. And they would complain about that. And that would be the end game for them. And for me, what it did was it forced a hiatus, uh, which so many of us just went through with COVID. I had gone through that prior to the, with the head injury. 
And in that period of time, I really got to examine life. I got to examine people. I got to meet really amazing healthcare workers and go through the process of like understanding how uh, the healthcare industry works and understanding that there are people out there that really genuinely fucking care about strangers. And that was really fun and interesting to be a part of. Um, don't yeah. worry, Mike, you can just open the doors and go straight through your, your fascination with, with the human condition and, and people and their general goodness always it's very inspiring oh thanks oh that's because one would think i i don't think that i was gonna say because i'm such a cynical prick <laughs> a lot of other levels. Uh, but yeah but yeah no i mean it's it, it, there's something really interesting and when you find yourself on your deathbed you know i never saw the light and i never i never went through all that stuff and I, you just sort of when, when someone says to you, you can't go to sleep, you're not going to wake up. You're like, okay, I should, I have the opportunity to tally things now. Mm -hmm. but a lot of people don't, you know, sometimes you're like crossing the street with, with groceries. And the last thing that you can think about is like how shiny that fucking, the grill of the truck is that's about to plow over you. Like, so I had that time to sort of process everything. And I, I sort of looked at my life and said, how has my life been? And I'm like, I, I, I had a great family. I had a great upbringing, very supportive people around me, really good friendships. I had a solid career directing music videos and I got to travel the world and do all this stuff. And, um, you know, I had just met this girl who seemed promising before she tried to kill me on the ice. Um, and she was, you know, also there. She didn't have to be there. And Gina was there at my bedside for weeks, months. She, didn't and she sounds there. like an associate producer of this film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's the reason for it. Uh, so, you know, all that stuff I was tallying. The one thing I was like, I never got to make a feature. I never got to make a fucking feature. And that was the one thing. So when I came out of this, and I was very fortunate to fully recover, fully recover, mm. which yeah. <laughs> says Ian. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm good. We'll go with that. I'm good. We'll, we'll I'm go with good. the full. We'll go with the full recovery. I'm good. I mean, because of the recovery, I was able to sort of really enjoy the experience and really sort of admire the roller coaster ride that I got to go on and have my senses open to it. There's a lot of people that talk about like taking hallucinogenics and stuff. I, I feel like they're probably having something similar. When they do that, yours was just way more metal. You, you, you your, your hallucinogenic trips came from uh, an influx of blood flooding your brain <laughs> and lack of sleep from fear of death. Yes, yes, there was a lot of that. The yeah, most yeah. metal way to trip. <laughs> um, so that's the origin mm. of the piece. And then when I woke up and I got out of everything and I recovered, I immediately was like, I got to make a movie. So my life was different. And mm -hmm. so immediately I was like, I, I got to make a film. And that was it. That was the aftermath. How many, have you ever done uh, an episode specifically on 12 cam? I feel like, I don't know if like I've done since like you one started full the through podcast. Hold on, let me fix your mic. Oh, is it? Oh, sorry. There you go. Um, it's, I, I want to touch anything because I got, I got fucked with last time. <laughs> Oh, it really sounds good when you move your mic around. I was like, and then you were like, I tell you if it was wrong. <laughs> so the fans. Now it's wrong. So the fans were giving you shit? No, you. <laughs> you gave me shit. Because I was like, eh, I don't think it's close enough to me. Anyways, uh, I ba basically, I just asked you that because I, I, I was like, 
have you done a full episode where you go through all this stuff? Because no. I don't want to like. No, I don't think I've done that's, that. That's good that we're we're going through this whole whole shtick. Yeah, we can talk about spiel. it. Yeah, and we don't have to get like super detailed, but let's we'll get through it. I think that um, because if you go back and listen to the other, there's plenty of episodes where I've had not only crew members on on the show, but uh, a lot of you have been asking, um, you know, what is the future of Twelve Cam? Twelve Cam currently is in development with uh, Scott Free, which is Ridley Scott's company. And um, my good buds over there, the producers, Sam Rostin and um, Mike Pruss, are the ones that are in charge of it. Um, and uh, when I went in and I pitched the short to them, we really connected on the head injury story. That, and I've talked about this, on, I think, on that episode. So if you want to listen to that episode, we just re-released it this week or last week. Um, it is up there with Mike Prush. You should definitely check that out. And that will sort of give you an insight into what's going on with 12Cam and the future of 12Cam. But um, I, I got off on a tangent. What were, what were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about uh, like what you had actually said with in previous podcasts. But initially we were talking about the head injury. And then that was kind of moving into, uh, you oh, know, the production, the production itself. Uh, yeah. So... <clears throat> The backstory is uh, prior to my head injury, I had done a fan film. Mm. So I did a fan film when fan films were doing well. The never seen. I actually, I haven't seen that fan film. You haven't seen I the, have not seen that you fan haven't film. Seen the Punisher I have fan not film? seen the Punisher fan film. I continue. Was like, that Nick? Yes. Nick yes. Apostolides, yeah. who uh, is now um, the voice of. I think it's Leon and Resident Evil. Yeah, Resident Evil. He just did some, Resident Evil. He just did some cool photos for that. That was fun. Yeah, he did. He did yeah. some cosplay stuff. Yeah, I knew him from the beginning, guys. Uh, yeah, he <laughs> uh, he was he played uh, Frank Castle in that, and that was based on Greg Rucka's run of comics, which mm -hmm. had um, the uh, story was the Bride. So essentially, there was a, another military officer. Her name was Cole. What's her first name? Um, and so her family was killed very similar to the way that the Punisher's family was killed. And then she ends up becoming a vigilante and she ends up being brought into the Punisher's world. Um, and I was reading those books while doing the Czarface video mm. for, um, not retrospects, for Air Em Out. And we were shooting the movie sequences in Air Em Out. And I was shooting those with anamorphic lenses. And I was joking around because I was looking at the monitor and we were doing this torture scene in the Czarface video, which also starred Ara Wooland, who is in 12KM. Mm. And we had him in the Czarface video tied up lethal weapon one style, where Martin Riggs was, remember when he was kidnapped and he was tied up over a bucket of water and they were electrocuting him, mm -hmm. you know? That great Asian actor who was in Die Hard, who was eating that Kit Kat candy bar, was the guy electrocuting him in that. Um, so I was joking around, and I said, as I was looking at that frame, I go, we should do a fucking Punisher movie, because this shit looks so fucking rad. I can do a Punisher movie. And so um, I got my friends together to make this proof of concept, and we started to shoot it. And I started putting out materials on it, because I was teasing the internet. And mm -hmm. so I made some posters, and then I put out a teaser trailer for it that went out there. And this is before Disney bought Marvel. This is before Marvel was even doing a TV series. Um, we started, we broke the internet. We started getting responses. I think it was posted on CBR, 
and people were writing, this is better than anything Marvel's ever done. Did, or Did you get a cease and desist? Yes. <laughs> this, yes. this is why no one's seen it. Yes. <laughs> this is why no one has ever seen this yes. fucking movie. I got a fucking cease and desist from them. And the cease and desist came in and it was flattering. They were just like, this looks too good to be a fan film. Like, you can't put this out. And I was like flattered and i and i immediately wrote back but of course it goes to the legal department hire me <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and i wrote back and i don't want to say that i'm important in any way i'm sure that this same lawyer was going after people on etsy for making fucking pillowcases with their fucking sure. characters on right it. you know what i mean so i wrote back to the lawyer and i said just take it you guys can use it yeah. my, my initial pitch to them this is before netflix my initial pitch to them was like you guys should do an online miniseries well, we do short episodes and I'll just do like really cool. Um, uh, what's the name of that Punisher book that I really loved? Punisher War Journal. So I was going to do like mm. War Journal episodes where it was like Frank talking about how he did something and see him actually do them. Right. And so uh, they were just like, no. And so <laughs> so here's, here's the reason why this is relevant. I had asked all these amazing, talented people that I had been working with for years on commercials and music videos, and I had rallied them all together to come and work for me for free and shoot the stuff that looked fucking phenomenal. And I had promised them all that this would get a lot of attention, this would help their careers, et cetera, et cetera. I immediately had to go to them and say, we can't release any of this. It was like the biggest letdown. Mm-hmm. On everybody. And so... Um, Is there a statute of limitations on cease and desist? Because, baby, we could release it now. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, they'll come after me so hard. Well, you just get another cease and desist, and then you take it off. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Although now it's premeditated. Yeah. And my lawyer said it best, where he... It was... I, I will say that I wrote an entire article on this, which I think you can find on my website, MikePetchy.com. Mm. Um, the lawyer came to me and said, like, but you can write an article about what you did. And so I did that. I wrote an article about the entire process that we went through and what we did and how we were talking to Power Glove. You guys know who Power Glove is and how we were talking to all these really great people to do really cool stuff for it. And um, that article went viral. Well, here's a question. Uh, be, you know, you may not be able to release it publicly, but is it a situation similar to 12KM where you could have it as a private video and then people get... I'm because not gonna, you're, I'm, you know. I'm not going to confirm or deny on air that I've ever screened it in front of other movies no, as no, a no, surprise. No, of course not. What I, I'm, I'm more so saying like, it's like when you have a private portfolio and oh, you might have work that, sure. you know, was copyrighted or bought by another company and you may not be able to expose it publicly, but it's, you know, if it's, if it's password protected, you know, it's, yeah, it's like, yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. Little, yeah, this is a conversation we can have off air about yeah, that stuff. Of course. Uh, but um <laughs> uh but yeah, so anyway, how is it how is this relevant to 12 camp? Yeah. So when I was came out of the head injury and I was about to go back to the well, right? All these people, all these friends, all these folks, I knew that I had to make something that was three times as good as what 12KM was, or as what uh, the Punisher piece was. This was also the reason why 12KM became a th almost a 30-minute piece, 
was that I also wanted to make a film that I could screen, get everybody together and screen in a movie theater that had a beginning, middle, and end. And a lot of shorts, um, especially if you're making proof of concepts, which this is, uh, the big thing that you hear is that it has to be incredibly short, especially now. Attention spans for most ad execs, or not ad execs, studio execs is like five minutes. Mm-hmm. They want like sizzle reels. They want stuff that's super short. So I was like, no, fuck it. I'm going to make a like a 27-minute piece for the crew, for them, so that we can do that screening that you went to, mm-hmm. which was at Coolidge Corner Theater and have this night. Yeah, sick. Of the whole thing. So, um, yeah. So I went back to the entire same crew that did the Punisher piece, and and it was a lot more people involved. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's how we uh, we started it. Um, and we did a Kickstarter campaign. My buddy, Tony Fernandez, I'm going to give you all the credit, my friend. He was helping me run the Kickstarter campaign. Um, and I think we raised 16000 or something like that on the Kickstarter campaign. I can't remember the actual numbers. But uh, we learned about how to raise a, a money for, through Kickstarter. Um, and that would just sort of scratch the surface of what it costs to make this film. I ended up self-financing the rest of it, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think the 16,000 was barely a third. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, once I got out of the head injury, I was like, we got right to work on this. And if that's any inclination, how, what it takes to make something of this yeah. caliber, yeah, you know, like yeah, for, for people who don't have funding or et cetera, or if you're hiring someone like it costs money. Yeah, it does. It, <laughs> it does. costs money. But it was challenging, man. When you guys see the short, you'll see like it takes place in 1980s Russia and a big, a big challenge uh, with this, with the art team, which was uh, um, Travis Harrington, uh, Suja Ono. Suja's the shit. Suja uh, is the shit. Uh, Larry Sampson, um, amazing art team that were involved with this, this film working during the day on Hollywood movies. So they would do like a 12 hour shift during the day and then they would come at and do an overnight on set dressing and stuff on my movie. So they went above and fucking beyond like the office for the professor. When you guys watched the short, that was all beautifully art, art dressed by Suja. Um, and the detail in that space was just fucking fantastic and phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, what was my point before I got off this fucking tangent? Um, Funding? You were talking to the oh, producer, yeah, yeah. producer but, guys? But it, like all that stuff starts to cost money. really does. And as you're trying to find props that are Russian props, that are period props, because mm-hmm. we shot this entire movie in Boston, FYI. Yeah. So um, that was very difficult. It's so difficult, in fact, that I had to change the script. I had to write in a bit in the script, which is actually a really funny moment where uh, my props team came to me and said, Mike, we can't find fucking period Russian sound mixers. We can't find period Russian headphones Mm -hmm. on your budget. There's no way we're going to be able to do this on the East Coast. And I said, all right, well, what if the drill team had had fractured from the government, the Russian government, so much that they had to buy their gear on the black market. And so they bought American gear and they couldn't figure it out. They had to have dictionaries to translate how Mm -hmm. to set the gear up. And I said, that'd be a really fun scene. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that yeah, okay, that yeah, makes sense. That's so, so, oh, that's where that comes from. Okay, oh, yeah, because we couldn't get our hands on the Russian gear, right. and it ended up becoming a really good gimmick for Pavel. Pavel, who plays uh, Daniil in the movie, is he the one with the beanie? Yes, yeah, he's the one with the beanie, and he had that nervous tick, and yeah. he loved that. He loved the fact that he had the ability to sort of. Tr- have to translate things and had to f- like figure out is this the right fucking dial and you watch him and he's so good because he's just he's got that backstory which i being a younger director at the time didn't realize was so important for him and mm-hmm. he really made that happen um so yeah yeah i'm on these tangents here why russian why did i do russian besides the fact that it's set in russia <laughs> well, that's a big part of it right i mean look i always laugh and I don't take movies seriously that take place at a spot and all the actors are just speaking, speaking English, English with Russian accents. Yeah. And you're just like, what the fuck? And I think the closest movie, and it's kind of a cheesy movie and it's a, it's a remake of seven samurai, but 13th warrior with Antonio oh Banderas. God. Yes. <laughs> Holy shit. That's a, that's a throwback. That bit that they do in the beginning when he's hanging out with all the Vikings and he can't understand their language. And as he slowly, they do sort of this montage while they're eating meals and riding horses together. And they're learning, he's learning how to fight with their skills. Mm-hmm. Slowly, their language becomes English. <laughs> well, we got to make it easy for people. We got to spoon feed it to them. So, and you know, a big influence on this movie, which I'm sure no one's really mentioned, but I'm sure you can see it is uh, Close Encounters. Mm-hmm. And my favorite part of Close Encounters is the fact that there is the French guy that has the translator, Mm. which I really like. And there's a sense of suspense that happens from uh, an English-speaking audience when you see someone speaking to somebody in English and then that having to be translated. Or someone saying something in French, the actors respond to that. Mm -hmm. So we wait with bated breath for the translation of that. So. I really enjoyed that too. And so the more I thought about it, and because I was financing it, I said, fuck it, I'm the boss. So let me do this movie in Russian. I don't speak Russian. I don't speak a lick of it. Let me make this really hard for myself. (laughs) Yeah, I don't speak a lick of it. I still don't speak Russian. I know, like, I know some key words from the movie, but. I, it's a joke with like a lot of the actors in it. They're like, you didn't even learn Russian. I'm like, when did I have time to learn Russian? Um, so uh, it was an interesting challenge, but it proved to be, it proved to be great. Here's, here's another thing as an independent filmmaker that I knew. Boston really doesn't have like a really great pool of actors. It's got great talent. And whenever someone gets really good, they move away. It's right. just the way it is. And so, call it insecurity on my part. I was concerned that I wasn't going to be able to get the best talent needed. Mm -hmm. And so there was a piece of me that was like, if I do it in another language, I could just change all the fucking subtitles. Like most people aren't even going to know about it. This was my initial thought. And I was like, I'll just change the subtitles. That was my first thought. And then what happened is a side effect was that, there were so many talented Russian actors in the country, but on the East Coast specifically, that get typecast continuously as like the Russian bad guy, the guy driving the car. You want me to get the bag? They have the worst fucking roles consistently. Mm-hmm. So when I sent the script out and we put it out into New York as well, because we did casting in New York, 
when I sent the script out, I had such a plethora of amazing Russian talent that came in. Amazing talent. Mm -hmm. And uh, my friend Ara, I gave him the part, the lead part, but he also came on as an early translator and as the uh, guy that was helping me run the casting sessions. And I said to him, well, here's the deal. I'm going to see this movie through the eyes of the audience for the whole thing because I don't speak Russian. So when we do these casting sessions, do the entire session in Russian. I don't want to know. I don't want to know any of it. You can like <laughs> nod to me in the back with a video camera and say, he's the American director. Whatever you want to do, just do him in Russian because I wanted to see if I responded to these people without understanding what they said. <laughs> Crazy, right? What a ridiculous process. Crazy, right? <laughs> I mean, it's sick, but like, holy shit. So here's a great example of that. We had a bunch of actors come in. And uh, he, didn't get, he didn't get cast, but he was really great. I forget the guy's name, which is terrible. It's been a while. So this guy comes in, big, burly Russian guy. And Ara speaks Russian through the whole thing. He starts it. He runs it as Russian. <laughs> What is going on with the gas in this room? I think we all know the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So, so, so um, Ara, I said to him, just run him in Russian. So this guy comes in, right? Ara introduces him. The guy, broken English, says to me, it's great to meet you. And um, the people were bringing in stuff that they had prepared because we didn't have a script for them. And so this guy gets started. He sits in front of us, right? And me and Tony were there. And he sits in front of us and he slows way down and he just sort of slouches down at the table and he starts to speak. Now, I don't speak Russian. I'll just, I'll give you the tone. And he's just there and he's blah, 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 right? And he's speaking in this dark tone. Oh my God. Right? It's not Russian. It's just the tone. It's, it's definitely not Russian. It's just the tone. And, and he continues, blah, 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 blah. And I'm leaning fucking forward on the table. Me and Tony are both leaning forward. And he has this long pause and blah, 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 blah. And he finishes. And we're both like, holy fuck. We sit back and we go, this guy's amazing. And he leaves the room. And uh, Ara comes back in and he's like, oh. and we're like, that guy's great. He would be great. And Ara goes, he was terrible. <laughs> he didn't know any of the, he brought in a play. He couldn't remember the lines. He kept pausing because he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know what he was saying. He was awful. And I went, this is going to work. This theory is going to work because I thought that that guy was fucking fantastic. Um, and so it eased my nerves immediately at that point where I said, all right, if I don't get the best actors, then I can still have a great film. The side effect is, is I got amazing fucking actors. Mm -hmm. Pavel is amazing. Uh, Ernst Zorin, who plays the professor, amazing. Mm -hmm. Turns out he was like the equivalent of Al Pacino from the Russian stage. Oh. I had no idea. He passed away recently. Oh, shit. Amazing guy. Um, Gene. Gene. Gene Ravin was so much fun. Gene plays the uh, head driller that has a couple of really funny lines in the movie. Mm -hmm. I had such a good time with Gene. Gene's fascinating. I was running um, a casting call in our offices back in Boston, which were upstairs from Boston Casting. So those of you from Boston, you'll know this building. 
And we had to put up signs because that building is so fucking confusing. It's like a maze. Mm -hmm. So you had to put up these signs everywhere. And I had run a casting session earlier that morning and I hadn't taken the signs down. And I'm sitting there and I would leave my door open to the office all the time because I like to meet people. People would come by. And there was this like knock on the door and this big tall guy comes in and he kind of reminded me of uh, what's his name from uh, The Professional from Leon, that actor. Oh my God. I can't remember his name, the French actor. He looked like him. He felt like him. And I was like, who's this guy? And he comes in and he's like, hey. And he was really cool. And he's like, can I do a read? <laughs> is, that, I was like, is that how he sounds to you yeah. in your head? <laughs> I've spoken with him recently. <laughs> he does not sound like that. Uh, and I had so much fun. He did such a great read. And he showed up to set with so much prepared. And he had such a small part. I enjoyed working with him so much that he ended up being cast as the lead in my other concept film called Who's There? Jean Reno. Jean Reno. That's Jean right. Jean Reno. That's the original. So Gene Ravin is uh, in the, the movie. Jean He's Reno. also fucking fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, really great folks. Enjoy the a leaf blower. It doesn't, it doesn't fail. It's been quiet here all day. Hey, last time it was a, a, a heavy storm. Yeah. <laughs> so, Which is actually nicer. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Um, so yeah, that's how we did the casting for the film. That's how we brought the people together mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So at this moment, where are we at right now? We're at about 52 minutes in. Let's take a break. I, I want to do some ad reads, but before I do the ad reads, I'm going to give you guys what you want. I'm going to give you guys what you're here for right now. Um, so if you want to watch 12 cam today, right now, before we wrap out the rest of this episode, because maybe we'll get some spoiler shit in the back end of this episode. So we'll do this now, <laughs> right? If you want to listen or watch 12 cam, what I need you to do is go to the in love with the process.com website. That is the website for this podcast. That is the place to go. If you want to listen to other episodes of this show, I've curated all the episodes by subject material. So if you want to listen to me, talk to other directors or other actors, you want to listen to me, talk to food. Yeah, I'm a huge fucking barbecue nerd. So I've had barbecue pit masters on the show. Uh, the goat mafia who continues to avoid hanging out with me. I've had them on the show. They make amazing goat beer tacos. They've been here. Or if you're um, like, oh, I got to get more of that Ian bloke. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got to hear more about him. <laughs> so if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, on the main page, I'm just going to go there right now. On the main page, if you scroll down, you'll see a header that says, host Mike Petchy's film 12KM. Uh, I talk about how the film went viral this week, and there is a watch it now button. Now, don't go there yet because you need the password. The password is going to change every week. So for this week, when this episode comes out, the password is very simple, all in caps. Pretentious genius. It is ILWP. ILWP, all in caps, is the password. The password is for the page that it takes you to, and the password will also be used to watch the video. All right? ILWP, all in caps. That's where to go to watch the thing thank you for sitting through the episode this thus far i hope we've sort of got you hooked on the listening to more episodes of the show and let me jump quickly into some sponsor reads um i was talking about fujifilm after we finish recording tonight i'm actually going to hang out with sergio tonight and give him the camera that he won 
just so happens that he's here in Los Angeles. It just so happens that that fucking landscaper is getting closer. Listen to that. I think he's like right outside the window looking in at me and just using it right now. Don't look. Yeah, I'm not going to look him in the eye. Don't look. I'm not going to look him in the eye. Um, so Fujifilm. Fujifilm has uh, been supporting the show since this, the, the halfway through this year. Love these guys. We just gave away the X-H2S. I use this camera all the time. You've been using the Fujifilm rigs. What do you mm-hmm. think? Um, the GFX100 is the one you and Gina have been shooting with a lot. I mean, I keep thinking about how I want to shoot with it more. Uh, <laughs> okay, hold, hold on. Here's some insider info. Ian's butthurt. I am not butthurt. That he couldn't oh, okay. win the camera. That he couldn't win the <laughs> oh, camera. Oh my God. No one could win the camera. Sergio doesn't even exist. <laughs> he does exist. I'm going to meet him tonight. You're just butthurt. You can't enter this the contest. You can't enter the contest. You're friends with me. <sighs> if I gave you a free camera, they would lose their shit. Oh, he, he just admitted it and we're friends. Yeah, soon to be not friends. <laughs> hey, I'll go take care of that leaf blower for you, and I'll, I'll be back in. Uh, so uh, thank you, Fujifilm, for setting up the contest for us. Thank you, everybody that was involved. Uh, I announced the runners-up on last week episode, last week's episode. I will be sending you guys uh, super fan pins for the from us here at the show. I just haven't been able to get to it because of this craziness, obviously. But we'll get there. Um, if you guys are looking for a camera that is a great starter camera to shoot your movies, shoot your short films, but also works as a still camera, I think it's a workhorse all the way around, especially if you're starting a new production company and you want to have a rig that you can make the most money with. It takes, takes a lot of the uh, the need to like know like how cameras work out of it without sacrificing it looking awesome. Yeah, the quality. I mean, yeah. the, the autofocus alone in it is. The autofocus, the, the like, customizable, uh, we don't call them. Oh, we don't, LUTs? We don't call them LUTs, right? We yeah. call, what, what do we call them? They're like film looks. Film, yeah, yeah something. They're film, essentially yeah. LUTs. They're film so, looks that are in the camera. But, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, pretty much anything you shoot looks great. Yeah. Like, yeah. it looks real nice. Check it out. Go to fujifilm-x.com or follow them on Instagram. Uh, check out the Fujifilm X-H2S uh, and uh, tune into the podcast as we do more episodes that are directly put together from Fuji. They've been introducing me to their filmmakers that they are supporting and I've been getting them on the show. I just recorded two more episodes, one with an amazing documentarian, another one with another really phenomenal director. Um, those episodes will be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, Fujifilm really cares about their filmmakers and supports those filmmakers. They're everywhere. All my other sponsors know what Fujifilm has been doing, and they're trying to step up their game to match it. So uh, love Fujifilm. If you're looking for support, if you're looking for gear, please go check them out. Uh, also sponsoring the show all year, and I'm going to get them back for next year if you're listening, jambox.io. This is the place to go if you're in the middle of making your own short film, maybe you're doing a podcast, and you're looking for licensed music. And I know you're rolling your eyes. If you've been in this business long enough as an editor, you know that your clients never really put aside money for music. They always hit you up with like, hey, we got like 200 bucks. What can we do? And you're like, oh, I've got this great relationship with this composer, but I'm not going to embarrass myself with $200. 
Go to jambox.io. They have the best selection of licensed music that I've ever found anywhere on the internet. I use them all the time. I posted last week or this week, reposted the project that Gina shot with Robert Pattinson for GQ. All the music in that is from jambox.io. Okay. Everything that Gina and I have put out recently has had some form of either sound effects or music from jambox.io on it. So it is the place to go to change the quality of your work, to up the value of your work. I'm telling you, just go there right now and uh, listen to their music. That's all, that's all I'm asking. Go listen to it. It will inspire you. And then when you look at their pricing, you'll go, holy fuck, I can afford this. You can take the cost that that one corporate client gives you, that measly $200 to do the music for stuff, and you can pay for a whole year subscription to Jambox and use it all for your own personal projects. A whole year, you say? Yeah, a whole year, man. Oh, my God. The prices are there, man. I use the unlimited commercial plan, which is only $19.99 a month, and that gives me access to uh, all sound effects and stems of their music, meaning I can take their songs, pull them apart, down to like the bass line, the drum line, and recut them. It's what I do with all of the projects. I never take a song clean and just use it. I'm always cutting that song to work thematically with my edit. So jambox.io, go there now. Uh, support them. They support the show. It's going to blow your mind. Also sponsoring the show are friends over at Boca Rentals. Uh, if you are in Los Angeles, or I think they even ship uh, countrywide, and you're looking for uh, your favorite rental house, you're looking for a new rental house, uh, book with Boca Rentals. They are my favorite rental house out here in Los Angeles. Uh, I have been using them for the past uh, few months, and I absolutely love these guys. Um, they just supplied me with gear for my new short film, which I am in post-production on, and uh, all of the stuff that I used to shoot Gina's new series um, were shot with the uh, Arialexa Mini LF um, and uh, amazing lenses. We actually got these Cook uh, Ranchero lenses from them. Um, Boca, the, one of the reasons why I was attracted to them was because of their Instagram account. So if you go to boca.rentals on Instagram, you will see uh, them post obviously sexy pictures of their gear, but more importantly, they will show you clips um, from movies, from content that is shot with lenses, which is a very useful tool if you're trying to figure out what lens package you want to shoot your movie with or what you want to shoot your commercial with. Uh, and they have in their stock, uh, on their website, some of the coolest lenses out there right now. Uh, I'm looking right now at their Instagram and they have the uh, Zelmus Anamorphics, which I cannot wait to use. Um, Boca Rentals is the coolest place to get your camera stuff from. Um, and uh, I'm so excited to have them as a sponsor on the show. We are going to be doing contests with them as we push into the new year. Um, so big shout out to our friends at Boca Rentals. So definitely check them out on Instagram, boca.rentals, and their website, which has all their great stuff on it. Um, it's bocarentals.com. Also, the big boys here. At the podcast, they have just signed on for next year. They're going to be back next year. Woo! Puget Systems. If you are in the market right now for a brand new computer, whether it's an edit system, graphic design system, 
Puget Systems is the place to go. Build yourself a PC. Don't become a slave to those giant corporations out there that are all about the unboxing experience and the short shelf life of their hardware. As soon as they release a fucking update, you're now going to toss that trash can out to the ocean outside of China off the coast of California. Where are we going? (laughs) (laughs) Go to PugetSystems.com. Build yourself a PC. Uh, I have posted about my super PC. I have the 6K editing monster. Um, I've been doing all of Gina's new project with it, and I've had timelines with 4K footage at least 28, 25, 31 layers of video running real time with blending modes and power windows and masks, full resolution. So if you want a system that is as good as mine, Go to PugetSystems.com or follow them at Puget Systems on, on Instagram and just write to them and say, hey, can I get Mike's system? Because you're going to love it. Let them know. All right. Super excited about those guys as well. So those are our three sponsors for today's episode. So uh, as the uh, leaf blower returns, let's get back into some storytelling here. Mm-hmm. What... Um, what else do you want to know as the audience? Uh, and and are we are we spoiler free now that people people can watch it? Well, we can do a spoiler. Let's, I mean, we don't, we don't have to spoil the 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 climax. Let's be real. Let's Most be real. people that haven't seen the movie have all jumped ship right now to right. go watch the movie because sure. they tuned in to get the password. Okay. They're probably coming back now that you've seen the movie. So let's say spoilers at this point. I mean, I want to hear about the practical effects. <laughs> I, like I would love to know exactly how you achieved those microscopic looks. What were you using? Okay. So um, one of the things that was a challenge on 12KM was that I knew that I had this creature, and I knew this creature was going to be some form of fluid and oil, because oil made sense, because we're drilling for oil and the oil race that happened in that time period. So thematically, it made sense for me to do like a black fluid or a dark fluid. But I didn't want it to be Venom. I didn't want it to be, and this is before Venom movie was made. I, I'm just a comic book nut. So before that, I was like, I don't want this to be like Eddie Brock, you know, getting hit with this fucking symbiote, right? Is that how you pronounce it? No. it's not symbiote symbiote there it is um so i was like all right so it's got to be some sort of fluid but i think the fluid was just a carrier for the creature which is essentially this microscopic thing and let me give you some super spoilers we've written a feature film version of this um, Will Simmons has written a feature film version of this, which I said is being produced. Um, we've talked about the fact that, that these particles that they find in this chamber belong to some sort of species, some sort of thing that has intellect that is in the particles themselves. And the particles are just the solidified version of the fluid. So as the fluid uh, petrifies over time, it uh, ends up solidifying and then is becomes airborne. And so it's essentially like the life raft for this creature to get out. So once it's airborne, they can float up 
through the hole and through the space. And so I don't know if this comes through in the movie. Enough people have talked about it, but the theory is that when those particles are introduced to a specific sound, and it's the sound that is resonating in the pit mm-hmm. that they record with the microphones, when that sound is then projected onto these particles, those particles then liquefy again, enabling them to move and consume and manipulate. Prior to that, when you're just inhaling those particles, those particles can just influence you. So those particles can psychically speak to you through your inner voice. And so that's the theory of the creature in the short. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, and I, I don't think I've looked at it in this in this sense, but like a lot of what you're talking about refers heavily to like disease and yes. like infection yes. and, you know, things becoming airborne or being dormant or harmless until they come in contact with uh, a specific, you know, um, uh, element or, or mm-hmm. you know, thing. And then they metastasize or they evolve or they change. Mm-hmm. And so I've... I've always looked at with the film and like the creature being its own sort of entity and not about the liquid or about the, the kind of transmission of this, this possession, Mm. so to speak. Mm. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's an interesting line to draw. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, I mean, I've always been fascinated with like, um, possession and i've always been fascinated with like i i love the 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 flocks of birds that all sort of move in a specific pattern together or if you're looking at uh, sardines and the way that sardines swim and and uh, i've liked that that theory and that principle with humans and i think that there's something i'm not a big jump scare guy i think jump scares are kind of fucking cheap and jump scares are <laughs> a tool they're a tool so like People were asking me when we were doing the list, they were asking me about found footage movies. And I'm like, it's a fucking tool. Like, I would totally use found footage in a sequence, but I wouldn't rely an entire movie on a fucking gimmick. You don't like the Blair Witch Project? I like the one scene in the Blair Witch Project. I've never seen it. Okay, I won't spoil it for you, but it's at the end. The whole build of it, you're falling around a bunch of whiny morons that have to be dumb to a certain extent in order to continuously record themselves Mm -hmm. and go through this process. Every one of those movies sort of suffers from that. In order to stay in that gimmick, they have to do this. As opposed to if you were to use found footage in a moment, it can be completely um, honest about it. Mm -hmm. So um, what was I saying? So jump scares. Jump scares is the same thing for me. Mm. And so I like the idea of seeing horror sort of progress in front of you and seeing it happen slowly. And you, like, there's nothing better. We were doing this on the new short that I just shot. There's nothing better than when you're hearing something and you turn slowly to look at it and you see this thing happen in front of you and your brain is attempting to process what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. That to me is more horrific than like, you know, the fucking music cue and then like some fucking thing jumps out of the shadows every five minutes in a film well it's like the whole movie is is essentially like anxiety producing music and then misdirects until you actually do get 
you know, spooked yes. or scared. Yes. You know, it has its, and, and maybe, I mean, I think too, like sometimes that just affects other people differently. Like you may not just be as susceptible to those jump scares as oh, other no, people. Dude, I still am. Yeah. It's not that I'm not. It's just that after you do like five jump scares in a row, you're just like, all right, I see the rhythms here. So like, mm. okay, this isn't going to be as scary for me. And I guess to a certain extent, if you go on a roller coaster, you understand the rhythms and it still kind of fucking freaks you out. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think it's a tool. I think it's a, I think it's a piece of a puzzle. And I don't, I don't think it should be, you know, you don't want to do a puzzle that is like all the color red. You know what I mean? Like then you want it to be textured. Okay. So that's, I don't know. That's my fucking bullshit. But, um, so what were we talking about? Oh, practical, effects. practical effects. So with the fluid, I knew that I had to get a fluid that I could shoot practically because I wouldn't have the money for CGI. Shitty CGI looks like shit. Mm-hmm. Mistakes in CGI look like shit. There is no such thing as a mistake in CGI that looks cool. King Kong 2005 was a great movie, right? <laughs> why, why did you bring that up? Oh, there's just terrible CGI. Yeah, but I think it's great because Peter Jackson, right? Oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, so um, I was like, I have to get something practically because I've spent enough years as a cinematographer shooting and I know that I can accidentally find something with the lens. Mm-hmm. Like the way the light leaks a certain way. If I like pan the camera in a way I didn't think about, oh, that looks fucking rad. And so I'm like, all right, cool. So we have to figure this out. How can I get a fluid that I can puppeteer? And that was tough. And so we're going through the process of like looking at all these different fluids and all these different types of things. And I stumbled across ferrofluid, which was on the internet. I wasn't the first guy to find it. And it's been used in other movies before. Mm-hmm. which I hadn't seen until after I had done them. I think like Splinter was the name of a movie that used ferrofluid pretty consistently. I've seen it be used a lot more in the last 10 years yeah. than, than pre, pre-12KM. pre yeah. Not saying that... We had anything to yeah, do with right, it. Right, yeah. but yeah. You know, just, it just, I think people just became aware of it. I think it just ends just the zeitgeist. It gets posted enough times on YouTube and people start to talk about it. And mm-hmm. people see those videos where you introduce sound waves to it and it starts to move. Yeah, That was another big thing for me is that Sound being such an important part of how the tr- the creature was brought to life, the way sound affects ferrofluid was really interesting to me. How um, much ferrofluid did you have to buy? We bought. We didn't use a lot, man. We only bought like maybe like five gallons, maybe not even that much. That's more than I. That's I was more than like I thought. three gallons, probably like three gallons or something. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that a lot. Hmm. It was expensive. Yeah, I bet. Um. So I uh, was like, okay, cool. There's this thing called ferrofluid, but how does it work and how hard is it to work with? And so I just did a a search on the internet looking for other photographers that had shot with it. And I found this guy who shot beautiful images with it, beautiful still life with it. And his name was uh, uh, Lyndon Gledhill. And Lyndon um, uh, is an amazing photographer. I'll get him on the show to talk about it. and I reached out to him and I just asked him a couple questions. I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this movie and, and how hard is it to work with this fluid? And I'd love to just sort of get your input and advice on this. And he goes, can you send me the script? And I, I barely had a script put together. And I said, sure, I'll send you the idea. And I sent it to him and he wrote back to me and he goes, I'll do it. And I was like, you'll do what? <laughs> and he goes, I haven't asked you for anything yet. Yeah. He goes, I'll do it. And I go, what do you mean you'll do it? And he goes, I- I'd love to do all the effects. I'd like to shoot all the effects and do all that. And I was like, okay. And he was like, uh, yeah. And I said, well, where are you? And he's like, I'm in uh, Pennsylvania at the time. He was in Pennsylvania. He was in Amish country, Pennsylvania. And I was like, 
Uh, and we're in Boston. And I was like, I got to drive to fucking, all right, maybe, maybe, dude. And so I thought about it and I looked at his work and I'm like, and this is before we had done anything really. We, before the script was finished and I said to him like, yeah. And I said to Tony, I was like, man, maybe we should just go hang out with this guy. And so uh, we packed the car and Tony and I and Travis, who was the production designer, we drove to Pennsylvania and uh, as we're driving there, Tony was really funny about it. He goes, did it ever occur to you that this guy could just be a fucking serial killer? <laughs> and we're just driving to this rando's fucking house that you've talked to a few times online. In Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. Amish country, Pennsylvania. And uh, does it occur to you that it could be a serial killer? And I go, yeah, that's what makes him fun, you know? And so we go. We spend, what was it, three days with him in his basement of his house in this small, like, I think he was on like a, just this residential neighborhood in this basement of his house. And he is a microbiologist, a microchemist. Um, he also uh, does all the macro photography. So he had a whole setup with like magnifying glasses. And we were building these little sets on the surface of a dime, like these tiny little sets that we were doing everything with. And um, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. And we shot all these effects, and I had some ideas of how they were going to work. Um, the, if you've watched the film, you'll see that there are sequences where you we go into the brain of people. Funny enough, brains. We go into the brain, and while we were puppeteering this fluid, I had turned to Travis, and I go, well, you know what would be rad? Is if we can get our hands on like a sheep's brain. And he goes, yeah. And he, he left for a while. He took off, came back, came back with like a sheep's brain. And he had it cut in half. So he had two different versions of it. And so we took this. And the, the thought was, I put it in this tray. And I was shooting it with a super close-up lens. And I had the ferrofluid in a tray next to it. And we had these super high-powered magnets. Like you couldn't, if you put your hand between the two magnets, it would crush your hand. Like that's how intense these magnets were. Damn. Um, and so... I was moving this fluid in the tray. And as I, I would put the magnet under the table, and there was enough power to still move this fluid. And the fluid would slosh around in this tray. And I go, okay, so here's the shot. Maybe this will be like a cool credit thing or transition where I'll move the fluid and it will slowly cover the brain. So that, that, that tr the fluid will move into the tray of the brain and it'll act as like a natural wipe and it'll go to black. That'd be fun. And so we have this monitor, and we have the monitor set up. We have all these cameras and stuff, all provided by our friends over at Rural Boston Camera back at home. And so we're looking at this monitor, and I'm just not looking at what I'm doing. And I start to move the magnet, and I'm looking at the monitor, and I'm expecting the black to cover the, the brain, mm -hmm. and there's nothing there. The magnet's now underneath the brain, and there's no ferrofluid, and it's not in the tray. And I was like, where the fuck did the ferrofluid go? So as I started to move it, the ferrofluid absorbed into the brain. And so as I was puppeteering, the brain was moving because the ferrofluid was inside of the brain muscle structure. <laughs> How cool is that? That's fucking sick. I mean. That's practical effects at its best. It's literal mental, literal mental illness. It's at its best. 
So we had so much fun. We shot all of the stuff. So there isn't a CGI shot in the whole piece. I think the only thing that's composited was there's a shot where he flicks the cigarette down in the hole. That is a composited shot of a cigarette that goes down I in the hole. I knew it. I knew it's it. the only thing. Yes. Uh, the hole itself, that was a very complicated thing for us because we didn't have a physical hole anywhere. That was a real difficult logistical issue. Larry Sampson designed the top of the hole, which was sort of the, um, the entrance there. And he built that. Larry is such a great production designer. He has the ability to craft anything from foam, from, he he just, he did the Meshuggah video, the Meshuggah bleed video that I directed. Um, I've worked with him multiple times. He did, worked on Who's There. He has the ability to craft such amazing things for for low money. When you say composited, because like he flicks it and then you have this trailing shot of the camera going down, down the, hole, the hole, obviously. And so I was like, did he like, did you have like a cut, like a le- like a length of pipe that you were trailing down, and then you composited the cigarette? Like, like how did yeah. what we did for that? Suja did this, and she was genius about it. Um, I had cut almost the entire film, and I had just these little gaps in the edit where the hole needed to be, and I didn't know how to fucking do it. I was like, "What do we drill a hole? Like, how do I? And what do I send a camera down into right. the hole? Like, how the fuck am I going to do this?" She went out. A lot of you aren't from the U.S. She went out and went to like Home Depot or hardware store and bought the, um, what do they call them? The ca- the casing or the casting to pour cement in. So mm-hmm. they're these uh, cardboard cylinders that are probably about a foot in diameter. And uh, you would put those down. Like if you're building a deck, you would dig a hole in the ground. You'd put this like cast in the ground and you'd fill it with cement and stick one of your posts in it. That's right. essentially what it was. So it's this circular cast. And what she did was she built two of them. She did one that was just the hole, had all these really great um, drill marks and rivets in it that um, she built that was a complete circle. And then she cut one in half. She right. had one that was cut in half. Mm-hmm. And what I did, we had it was about five feet long, I think in total, what I did is I shot it with uh, a small DSLR camera as a miniature. And so we set it up in my basement and we set it up <laughs> horizontal, not vertically. So I set it up horizontally and, yeah. mm-hmm. and I was able to put the camera on a slider and we just ran an XLR cable down through the foreground and I had a macro lens on it. So everything fell super set shallow mm-hmm. and that's how we got those shots. And then we, did the same thing when we cut that one in half. I just sort of ran down the cable. And so in post, I would just flip it. So I flipped it. So it wasn't horizontal, it was vertical in post. And it enabled me to actually uh, go even further with it, which was cool. And then we composited a cigarette that fell down in the hole mm-hmm. with that. That's fucking awesome. That's yeah. really cool. I, yeah. was, I was wondering that when I was cutting that for Gene. All day. practical. Those are miniatures. Mm-hmm. All practical. I've posted a video of it. I'll have to find that video and put it online of us actually shooting that. Um, yeah. Suja's the shit. I miss Suja. She's great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, everything was practical. I think every ounce of it was practical. We actually got all of that really great electronic, like uh, uh, waveform monitors and uh, oscilloscopes, all that stuff we would pump the sound into to get those sound waves on them. Um, yeah, 
everything was practical. Okay, here's another question. Uh, without going too much into like the end of the movie, which has the, you know, the cool void, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very opening shot. Mm-hmm. Very first shot. Because mm-hmm. that's like a tracking, like you, that's like a continuous shot for. Yes. And it's- a lot is going on. Yes. Amidst it. Yes. So people forget the fact that it's two shots. It's actually three shots. Really? So when he got four shots, if you can include him getting out of the elevator. Um, but once he starts and we track with him, he walks from uh, left to right mm-hmm. on the screen. Um, I've said this before in other, sh- uh, other episodes. When I made this movie, I wanted to study the language of all the films that I liked growing up. And so I studied John Carpenter. I studied Steven Spielberg specifically for this. But I would watch all their movies and learn their language, the language of cinema. So I would learn techniques that they would use. For instance, the simplest thing, simplest example of this is Jaws. So when Roy Scheider's sitting on the beach and the kids start screaming and they do the dolly zoom on him where the background, everybody recognizes that. Mm -hmm. That is a specific word in the language of Spielberg's visual language, that technique. So if I wanted to recreate the vibe that I felt during that scene, I know that I could use that somewhere else to recreate what I felt there for that. Um, Spielberg's got a bunch of them. He has one where every time characters are giving exposition, they're moving on a tracking shot from the left to the right-hand side of the screen, and they're sort of working with him. Um, I love that stuff. And so I was studying all those little language bits and moments, and as I put this piece together, I was like, oh, you know, I want to use that technique for this, and I want to use this technique for that. Not stealing shots, not replicating shots, but just making you feel the same way. There's a lot of people who watch 12 Cam, and they go, it feels like the thing. It feels like this stuff. It's because of the language. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the tracking shot is a combination of that Spielbergian sort of left to right on a dolly, which is really amazing. Cruda, David Cruda is the cinematographer. He laid all that out. And then as uh, Ara uh, in the hood pushes through the plastic door, that's Steadicam. And uh, I wanted to do a Steadicam shot to establish the environment, to establish the the stage in which this play was going to happen, because there was a lot of things that we needed to understand. We needed to understand that the office was up higher on the right-hand side. We needed to understand what we called the sound altar was on the left, and that's where the professor and Daniil were, and that the hole was in the center, and we needed to show all of the players. And so doing so and i also needed to show that these guys were packing up stuff and that they had finally finished drilling and so there was all these different storytelling elements that were important that i wanted the audience to absorb immediately and so that required the infamous steadicam shot that's in this movie that Mm -hmm. we get a lot of i get a lot of credit for and i'm not going to take that credit the credit goes to uh our steadicam operator he was amazing the credit goes to David Crude, the cinematographer, and the credit goes to uh, Vlad, who is our assistant director. I just put his episode up. Um, he did the blocking with the background extras. So I sort of staged it and said, here's where I think everything's going to go. And then I had to go deal with a bunch of problems. And I came back and they showed me the shot. And it was just beautiful. Yeah, I love that opening shot or that that opening sequence. Yeah. 
I, I don't take credit for. I mean, I had it storyboarded, but I don't take credit for the final thing. Those guys crushed it. Mm -hmm. I crushed that shot. So it's funny. The stuff that we get credit for as directors, really, it, the, the credit is deserved towards the crew for all that stuff. It really is. Let me ask you, Mike, is there anything you want to talk about based on this movie <laughs> that you haven't talked about yet? Um, Something you want people to know before they see it, after they see it. I, I've been getting a lot of questions afterwards. And I, I, there, the camp is divided. Audience members are either in the camp in which they need everything answered for them. Mm -hmm. They need to know where things come from and what this means and what is the, well, like you, that camp Hollywood works for you right now. It's incredibly frustrating because if you're ever pitching an idea, Hollywood's like, what's the origin and where is this coming? It's like, does it need a fucking, it doesn't need an origin. It just needs to be scary in this moment. It's at the moment. If something happens, if someone hits you with a car, you don't know what they, where they fucking came from. You don't know any of that stuff. You're in the moment dealing with what happened. And that is where the horror is. I think the more you describe, the more the the more answers you give, uh, the less scary a movie is, the less fulfilling a movie is. And you hear this all the time from other filmmakers, which is like, I want the audience to leave with questions. I want the audience to leave and have a conversation about stuff. And I know it seems like it could be a cop-out, but it's not. It's intentionally done that way because I don't know all the answers. Like, I was directing you guys to Big Vic's, uh, you know, breakdown of this movie and 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 his review of this film. He goes off in places that I never even thought of, that I think are wonderful, and they add to the screening opportunity, the screening experience. They add to the texture of this film, and this film ha has always been a proof of concept for a larger piece, and. A lot of folks are like, you know, I wish it was longer. Of course you do. I crafted it that way. I, cr I, cr I made it that way. Like if you watch the end of this, if you got to the end of the short and you went, well, that was great. That was perfect. No one would want to make a fucking feature. Like it's intentionally crafted so that you want more. That's the purpose of it. Um, and so I celebrate the folks that are willing to get lost in the tone, in the vibe, in the elements of this movie. And it's not a perfect film, which is great. I love that it's not. There are so many accidents and happy mistakes that happen in this bit that I love so much. And I talk about this on the, on the podcast a lot. Like our favorite movies aren't perfect. If you watch Die Hard, there's that bit where finally John McClane is fighting with, uh, what's his name, the blonde guy and he wraps the chain around his mm -hmm. neck and he fucking ah, and he's punching him and he pulls him down the staircase and there's this dolly shot that shakes like a motherfucker and you know that the director was in mctiernan was in the edit room going like oh my god it's fucking shaking it looks like shit it adds to the movie it's this happy accident that adds to the suspense of it and i i think that that is what's so much is so fun about cinema and i think a lot of our new movies right now with the technology, you can stabilize everything and everything needs to be perfect and there needs to be this perfection. And I love David Fincher movies, but he's all about that third person, like perfection with his films. And I think that 
you know, it works for his stuff, but I think that's not the reason I make movies. And I, I think there's something really fun in the mistakes um, and the organic elements of it. And so if you have questions about the end of this movie and you want me to explain the, those things to you, I'm not going to fully do that. Um, I will say to you that take into consideration the fact that I had the head injury and take into consideration the fear that comes with not having control of your body and not having control of your inner voice. And there are so many people that have been asking, like, where did he go? And did he fall in the hole? And like, what is that? Think about it. Like, what do you think that is? Um, and at the end of the day, this movie really ended up becoming a story about a father and son relationship. And that's really what it ends up being. It, 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 it's the ability that we don't get to say what we need to say to someone that passes on and how weak we are when it comes to that, how weak we are as a species when it comes to our own little problems and how susceptible we are to be manipulated when it comes to the emotions that we feel. And I think it's incredibly relevant with social media and with uh, dopamine and with everything else. Like you could say that the bad guy in this movie is dopamine. You could say that. Easy. Easy. The villain is dopamine. Yeah, you could very easily say that in this movie. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff there. And I encourage you all to post what you think the movie's about and what you think is happening at the end of that film. And uh, I encourage you guys to start conversations about it. And I will get into conversations with you guys because I'm curious to see what you think is happening here. Because I've got an answer that I know, that I needed to know. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what's going on. What's up? So I feel like just to like round it out, since it's coming to a close now. Yes. Um, you suffered a head injury. You made this movie. You had never made a feature. And you wanted to get that done. And this was almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Close to 10 years ago. Yeah. Would you make the same movie today? How have you evolved since you made this with your new life experiences, with not having that fear of death or incompletion? No. You wouldn't make this movie? No. I mean, I, I don't think it would be this... Like, if I, if I had written this as a script, then and I picked it up today to make it today, it wouldn't feel as raw and as um, organic as it does. Because I think the fact that I was fresh off of all of those experiences, they were resonating. I mean, I probably still had residual vertigo and shit. Like mm -hmm. all that stuff was still very fresh and resonating with it. Um, so it wouldn't exist the same way it does now. I think that it would be different. It would be a lot different now. And as we sort of progress into making the feature version of this, a lot of folks have asked, like, what is the feature and what is the feature vibe? It's currently what we have written is much different, and it takes place after 
this. And so, which I think is great because then I can experience this in an interesting way because it, it takes place with people that know that this had happened. So for me as a filmmaker, I know that this has happened. And so now I can tell this story from the perspective of a world that knew this happened. And then how does this evolve from there? And how does this affect people after that? So mm -hmm. I think I'm in the perfect place to tell the future version of this. Um, but it, I, I, I promise this, that when we do it, it will be practical. It will be organic. It will be sloppy. Um, it'll be fucking frightening. Um, and what I really wish I want to fucking have happen is I want to see, you know, that Scott free logo. Cause the reality of the situation is it'll happen. This, this is what would happen today. If, mm -hmm. if it was made with Scott free and it went through and all that stuff, the trailers would go like from the guy who brought you alien from the guy who brought you Prometheus from, from the, the studio guy. that, yeah, like yeah. all that stuff. It would be that they wouldn't even mention my name, you know, from Ridley Scott. Yeah, just be a hype monster. Right. And so that that's how it would come out. And I love that. I love the fact that that because that's the movie I want to fucking see. Mm -hmm. That's the, the 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 position I want to be in the theater and just go, even just see that fucking trailer and go, fuck me. Like, what is this? And if you saw that with the visuals that we do and with the stuff that you see, I like people would clamor to go see this movie. And I think one of the reasons why it's so hard to be made is that it's not an IP. Mm -hmm. So it's not an intellectual property from something else that already exists. So it's very tough to get a new, fresh idea off the fucking ground. But if it was from Ridley Scott, I mean, I know everybody I know would go see that fucking movie. Mm -hmm. And I know everybody listening to this would go see that fucking movie. And so all what we need to do is convince fucking Hollywood that that's what needs to happen. You know, and it isn't just convincing because you know ridley's like ridley saw this fucking movie it blows my mind i was in a meeting with the guys and they like ridley saw it he loves this movie i go what what and they're like yeah so he, like it's not that it's the studios it's the financiers it's all this other bullshit and so these folks are the people that drag their heels and so what is so important about what's happening right now with all this uh, viral activity and all of you that are begging to see this movie, what is so important is that you're posting about it, you're talking about it, mm -hmm. you're putting it out there because the people that finance these things watch everything we do. This is what they care about. This is what they care about. They care about numbers. And so if you love this movie, tell your friends about it, tell people about it. If you think, <laughs> this is dangerous, but I'm gonna do it. If you think that there is an actor that you want in this movie, Write to them, write to their Instagram pages and say, have you seen 12KM yet? Have you done this yet? Write to Scott Free, write to any of the studios, write to A24, anybody that you think you would like to see this movie made by. And I say that because I've done it already. I've met with all these fucking people. I've met with all these different places and they go, yeah, but you're like a first time director and like you need to do more stuff and you have to prove that there's an audience. Dude, motherfuckers, we just accidentally proved yeah, that there's you, an you audience. You guys are the audience. You guys are the audience and you need to make sure that they can fucking hear you. 
And if you want this to be made as a feature film and you want to continue on this journey with me, and I love each and every one of you for surprising me, for showing up one day on my fucking Monday. He really does. He's been so happy. Yeah, I've been happy about <laughs> this. Like, and this is why I'm talking to each and every one of you. If you want this thing to fucking happen, I need your help. You need to prove that it'll make money. And the only way you can do that is by spreading the shit around. Very similar to as if we had dug the hole and you were infected with this shit and you're spreading it around that way. Ian's rolling his eyes. But it's true. I know it's corny. But it's I, true. I just want I just want a hyper clip of you saying the term fluid throughout this entire this entire episode. Just fluid, fluid, fluid. Every time you say it, I was like, ugh. But anyway, uh, uh where are we at? Okay, so we we're good, man. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you, Ian, for being here and sitting through this with me. Of course. I needed your help. Um, Absolutely. And um, if you guys want more, uh, listen to all the other episodes. And I basically, I go off on tangents about this movie with all sorts of different people. And I get their input. And we'll try to, uh, I might try to get some of you fans on the show. So we'll keep that in mind. And uh, I have seen all of your reviews uh, and the reviews that have been posted on IMDb. What are we at right now? Yeah, let's check it out. What are we at? Almost 400 in the past couple of, in the past week. Um, but some of these reviews, like, the, dear Hollywood, pay attention, okay? So uh, there's a review here, eight out of 10. I'll take it. Uh, finally, I want, this is how this starts. I want more, period. I want more, period. I need more. At last, a short worthy of watching. It's refreshing and definitely a bright spot in the sea of mediocre horror movies nowadays. Oof. Oof. That's a chirp. That is a big chirp. That's a fucking chirp. Uh, I think it's the kind of I think it's kind of cool that you need the director's permission to watch it. Yeah, it was an accident, but I appreciate that. I don't know what to expect, uh, but this movie is a gem. I was drawn in right away. Movie held my attention from the first minute right to the very end. Uh, there are no jump scares. There are a few jump scares in there, mm. but atmosphere is fantastic and the visuals are amazing. Thank you, dude. Concept is incredible and will leave you with a question at the end. I need answers to, so I'm hoping there will maybe be a part two. Uh, this is uh, Mixy Boo. I love people's names. Uh, <laughs> Mixy Boo, uh, if you've been listening to this episode, get, get to work. Um, I'll read a couple more of these. Just because I, I, I'm so grateful that you guys spent the time to do it. Are there any trolls? I'm looking for. I know. I'm, I'm looking for like I want a, a. I want a bad review. <laughs> I'm looking for a shitty review, and it's actually really hard to find. <laughs> uh, let's see, incredible movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to sound like an asshole by reading all the good stuff. Right. Okay, here we go. Here's a six out of ten. All right, let's give it to me. Idea is great. First of all, marketing for this was beautifully done. Sound designer did a really great job. Oh, God, this. Okay, so he's probably, English is probably not their first language. Sound designer did really great job. Idea to tell a story about Cola super deep. I think he's saying deep there. Borehole is interesting if you know the myth that surrounded it. Great. Oil metaphor is great. We, that is something that will end us. Russian language in a movie was a very nice punch. Okay. What dis what dissatisfies me? Here's the juice. Mm, That's what okay. we want. That's what we want. Yeah. What dissatisfies me 
is that it is not a horror movie from my point of view. Yeah. All right. Horror is a genre. Horror as a genre is changing, evolving as everything else. So I was disappointed and confused, to be honest. All right. It mm. is more sci-fi drama. But all in all, a good job. <laughs> <laughs> all right, dude. Look, I, I, I'll take it. Sci-fi drama. I say it's a sci-fi horror, but yeah. I don't necessarily think it's a drama. I mean... But uh, let's see, let's see. We Give got me some, a one or two star, baby. I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking for once. I don't want to be this asshole should, that says this, but they should have the one where you like click, you can like click like lower viewers or like one star. Oh, hold on, hold on. Let me see if we can. Hold on. Bear with us, guys. There are so many. Now great, we're just having fun. <laughs> There's so many great reviews here, um, and I just don't want to be that asshole that's reading all the good reviews. Uh, review rating. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right. So those are all the ten stars. Can you? Yeah. Let's go all the. Yes. There we go. There we go. Yes. We love filters. There we go. All right. So here's someone that gave it a three out of ten. Uh, Meh. <laughs> yeah, hold on. We're doing this one. Titled No Point. Okay. Definitely creepy, but had no plot point. Had no plot. It made you have no attachment to any characters. Also explained nothing that was going on. And apparently. This has a requirement of number of characters, so there is a bunch of autofill. Okay, I'm trying to read. Obviously, English is not the first language. Getting the word of a person that I know is a character that I know of, and that is the reason I don't don't like. Okay, buddy. The term and... Oh my god, I want to continue with this, but it's so hard. It's like reading hieroglyphics. Yeah, no. Okay, no point. Okay, I, I'm struggling to see the point of what you were writing there, but I appreciate you taking the time to write that. Apparently it affected you in, in a good way. Okay, four out of ten. Meh. I like this one. Meh. By Dragon Lady. Dragon Lady was meh. She writes, starts with by saying, it was so-so. <laughs> I felt that it could have been better. All right. If they had gotten to the point sooner, okay, or had a point that could be found. All right. Most of the time, I was unsure of exactly what was going on. But all in all, I think it has potential. I love that. This is a four out of ten. All in all, I think it has potential. By the way, BTW, I am also not a fan of unnecessary nudity. Okay. Well, you know. You, you know. These are good. I hope you guys are enjoying it's these. It's not your audience. I hope you guys are enjoying these. Hold on. Um, Well-produced bad storytelling. Oh, my God. I'm skipping to that one. Hold on. <laughs> Five out of ten. At the beginning of the film, I was very curious about what I was about to watch. Buy, as in like I'm going to purchase something. Buy the story was not what I was expecting. I think horror, quote, horror films are one of the hardest to do. But if you can't if you can't create a connection between the characters and the consumer, it would be tough to scare them or even keep them in front of the TV. At the end of the film, I was even more confused. And with the disappointment of having spent 30 minutes in something I was not expecting, uh, for free, by the way, in a bad way because of the quote-unquote horror that was just not there. 
Oh, apparently this guy disagrees with our last dude. A couple of jump scares and very loud and noisy sounds are not enough to do a good horror movie. Hmm. I will sum it up that there is a lot of potential. <laughs> Mike, I don't know if you know this, but you got a little bit of potential, my I friend. I love even the shitty comments. People are like, I, I, uh, let me see. Let me continue to read this without being an asshole. I would sum it up that there's a lot of potential. I like a lot of the things about the movie, but I couldn't connect with the story slash characters. And that is a number one rule for horror in films in general. Sounds like this person just hates Russia. Five out of ten. Five out of ten. Oh my God. Five out of ten. Okay. Well, you know. Five out of ten. I've got a bunch of six out of tens on here. They're great. Let me, let me, let me, let me leave your palate with a good review. <laughs> let me make myself feel better real quick. Uh, let me find a good one here. Oh, I like this one. Ten out of ten. Thank you so much. Awesome. What does that say? Awesome men send. Lovecraftian horror with a Russian twist. I love it. The term Lovecraftian gets bandied. Branded, maybe? I think that's what he's trying to say. About quite literally in horror circles. I don't know what he's saying there. Whether in print or on screen. I think he's saying that Lovecraftian gets used too much. It is a lofty goal and all too often is attached to a project unworthy of the adjective. 12 Kilometers is not only Lovecraftian, it lives up to HPL's writing and concept without being a direct, I don't know what that word is. What is that word? Even with my glasses, like pastiche? Yeah. What is pastiche? pastiche? Uh, just move on. <laughs> being a just, rip off. Just, just move on. <laughs> We don't have enough time. <laughs> the film is visually stunning. I like this guy. The film is visually stunning with camera pans that enhance the flow and the pace of the script. The sound work is perfect. Mike Tran is in the other room. Your sound work is perfect. Uh, as it has to be since it is an integral part of the plot. The score builds tension quite well and is used sparsely enough that when you hear the shift in music, your anticipation elevates with it. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. I found myself forgetting that this was an independent short and wanted more when it was finished. I highly recommend this film to any fans of horror, the supernatural, or just great filmmaking. Well, thank you. I mean, and as you can see from the review right before that, that person did not like the sound, you know, or didn't think that the sound was as important or was enough, etc. So it's all objective. <laughs> well, dude, it is. And I think that I love the reason why I like or reading subjective. Yeah, the reason why I love reading bad reviews is that I learn a lot more from bad reviews than I do from good reviews. Totally. Um, and so I, I'm the first one to go through them. And here's the thing. I, this is something I learned early on when I was uh, filmmaking and when I was doing casting sessions. And I've talked about this on other episodes. But um, when I was casting commercials, uh, we would have these cattle calls where we'd bring in like hundreds of people. And it would be a call for like, you know, uh, mid-30s woman, you know. And we'd get the plethora of it. Like the, the casting sessions would bring us all sorts of different folks. And my job as a director is to try to find somebody that A, speaks to me when they first walk in the room. I believe that without doing anything, they have the skills to carry this character. 
So just by looking at them, that is generally what I'm looking at first. And then you're sort of mining them to see how do they handle problems? How do they handle things that are going to come up on set? And what is their toolbox like? That's what you're doing as a director. When you're doing a commercial, there is this table that is behind you, which is all of the creative directors and the the uh, in-company producers that are generally on their fucking phones. Generally on their phones. And I know there's a lot of creative directors out there that are like, Mike. And I'm like, I'm sorry, it's true. Uh, and so you're sitting behind me on your phones. And so as I go through this casting session, I remember I was dealing with this beautiful actress that had such a great toolbox and I was so into her stuff. And she came in and she performed and she left. And I sat back going like, we got it. Like, she's the woman that I want to be on set. She's the woman I want to be in the trenches with for the next fucking 15 hours while I try to make whatever this, let's pretend it was a toilet paper ad, whatever bullshit that I was trying to sell. Mm. And so I turned back to them and this woman looked at me and she goes, I don't like her. And I go, what do you mean you don't like her? And she goes, I don't like her. I said, yeah, but she's got all this really great talent and she's really good at what she does. She goes, she reminds me of this girl that I used to go to high school with uh, who also had red hair. And whenever I see red hair like that, I just think of that bitch so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And at that moment, that was a good learning lesson Sounds for like me. a real you problem. <laughs> yeah. This is how movies are. Whenever we go and sit down to watch a film, um, I feel like the movie theater is a better place for it because you can sort of embarrassingly sort of shed a lot of your preconceived notions and sit down with strangers easier than you can when you're at home. But I think depending upon what mood you are when you start something, like uh, everybody's all excited about everywhere, everything at once. Or I think that's the title of it, that A24 movie. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, yes, yeah. Michelle Yeoh. Oh. I, I'm excited about it. I gotta love her. I tried watching that movie on the airplane after going through some intense fucking... Uh, waiting and long like i was Not in the, the airport for like it. 21 hours and i tried watching that movie and i had to shut it off within five minutes yeah and i haven't been able to put that movie on again because i still have that experience with it and i'm going to revisit it later but my point is is that everybody brings their personal experiences into a film mm -hmm. and as a filmmaker you can't control any of that you really can't and if you're making movies if you leave them very open-ended and you leave them with questions Folks can start to bring their own life experiences into their explanations of these things, and they start to enjoy them more, and then these things become something more. Than that. Or they enjoy them less. Yeah. Like one, someone could like a movie or like what they're watching up until subject matter gets addressed that they don't like. Like the woman that we just read didn't yeah. like, doesn't like nudity, or uh, an interracial marriage, or gays, or whatever. Like yeah. as soon as they see one thing that they don't like, they're like, I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not about this. And, and oftentimes it's so stupid. Like you can tell by how, what, what like the, their vocabulary and the vocabulary that they're using, you can tell when you read these things where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And so. Or I didn't like all the swear, like the people who don't like that you swear so much. I fucking love that. My point is, is that I love these reviews. They're very useful to me. So if you watch this movie and you fucking hate it, then write me a review about how much you hate it. Oh my God. Because I want to know. We need some more one stars, baby. Yeah, give me some more one stars, baby. We have way too many tens. <laughs> Pretentious genius strikes again. Oh, my God. Um, so thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I hope you realize that it's all fun. 
And the whole purpose of this is fun. And once again, this was a pleasant surprise, not planned whatsoever. And uh, I'm just enjoying every minute of this. And thank you for being here while we ramble through this whole Absolutely. Thing. Love it. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. Make, be sure to tune in next week. Brand new episodes on the way for you regulars. And welcome everybody else. I uh, hope you guys become fans of this, uh, of this podcast. And uh, thank you for listening, all right? Leave you with a track. <laughs>